Hello. Hello. Industry. Industry. Hi everybody, welcome back to Industry Tactics. Friendly Rich here and delighted to be back. Uh, if you're in the Toronto area this Sunday, December the 19th, I'll be doing a thing at the Paradise uh, Theater, part of James B.'s very untraditional Christmas, so go check that out. And on the podcast today, the great Canadian saxophonist and band leader, Richard Underhill. The Shuffle Demons have a new record out called All In, and we dig in to, uh, to, to that recording and his amazing career in music. So buckle up. This is episode number 143 of Industry Tactics, Richard Underhill. Starry-eyed jazz <laughs> legend himself, Richard Underhill. Welcome to episode 143 of Industry Tactics. We're going dick to dick today. <laughs> 143. Wow. Yeah. Let's let the sword fight begin. Okay. Okay. Um, Richard. You are a jazz legend. You play in the Shuffle Demons. You, you are, are you the band leader? Is that fair to say? Well, I think at a certain, no, no. I think at a certain point, I, I definitely was. Uh, Stitch okay. Winston has. We, we kind of we we went to a certain point in 1997 and then broke up for a while, and then oh. uh, had a great idea to come back for our 20th anniversary tour in 2004, and uh, and so I did all that. And then I was like, okay, you know, see you in five years. But Stitch, our drummer, said, no, man, I want to do stuff. So we actually have a pretty good uh, partnership. Stitch okay. really, you know, it's, if you, you can use a hockey analogy, Stitch, Stitch digs in the corners. and He's a mucker. Yeah, he throws the puck out, and then I try and, you know, convert. Um, but, but he does, yeah, he gets a lot of gigs. He applies for a lot of grants. Okay. And then I'm kind of the, the road manager. You know, I'll okay. do more of the artistic things on state you know like calling okay. tunes and whatever but we do it, it's a it's a partnership okay so in 97 97 was when the band took a break you'd say yeah, yeah about 97 yeah what was the not to start on a negative tone but what oh, was no, no, no. what was some of the why did you need to take a break at that point after having done it for how many years would you have been in at that point as a band uh, i guess that was th- wow well, lucky 13 13 lucky 13 years. okay you felt you needed a break well, you know what? It was, it was, I was, I had moved to um, England in the early 90s with an ex who had a job there. And okay. I really started exploring playing in Europe. And so, oh, wow. Wow. Uh, yeah, I was doing tons, you know, in the old days, it was like yeah. mailing cassettes, mailing videos, you know, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, whatever, uh, what was that format that they used to use? 
yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. You know, they had a different format. But anyway, mailing stuff, just mailing, mailing, mailing. It's it's funny how in the old days you could put in a lot of work and spend a lot of money and people would take notice. Whereas now, you know, it's one click away to hit whoever and, and whoever is completely swarmed by clicks and they can't, yeah. you know, it's harder yeah. to get noticed in some ways, even though it's easier. Right. So interesting. I, interesting. I, yeah. You know, that, that, that is yeah. a thing that I think I was, so I was grinding out these European tours with and without, um, financing from the government and okay. you know they were paying maybe eight hundred dollars five five to eight hundred dollars a week we would go for a month we would mm-hmm. put two thousand twenty thousand kilometers on a van driving mm-hmm. around europe mm-hmm. they thought we were the crazy canadians because you know we'd play luxembourg one day and then south of france the next and it's, yes. it's, it's impossible you cannot yeah. do this it's like yeah, well yeah. it's like driving to winnipeg from you know Thunder right. Bay, it's not that bad. Right. Right. So I basically burned the band out, is what I'm trying to say, long and oh, long and oh, short of it. Oh, yeah, I burned oh. a lot of people out, and people just kind of left. And then mm-hmm. I, it actually got to an interesting point where it was more of an electric band with me, yeah. with uh, effects pedals on my saxophone, Eric Sandler on guitar, Mike Milligan on bass, and Greg wow. Smith on drums. And I also burned myself out, too. So okay. kind of, And I got myself out of debt, and then I was like, okay. 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 Well, we're into it. We are into industry tactics. We're here with a true band leader, someone who has not only burned himself out, but others along the way. And that's a that's a really interesting place for us to start, man. Like I, you know, because you also have staying power to me, like you've been around for you've been doing music in so many contexts um, as a side person in other people's bands, but then leading your own uh, path forward as well. So there's so much to learn from you in this episode. Um, how do you, ha- I guess two questions. How did you recover from the burnout and how do you ensure, is there any kind of like, how do you go it now all these years later? The band is back, which is beautiful because you were able to preserve why you loved it in the first place. It didn't, it didn't die, which I'm really thrilled to, to know and hear. But um, yeah, how do you kind of preserve how do you make sure you don't burn out again? Right. Well, th- those are a couple good questions. I mean, I think the recovery was coming back to Toronto and um, yeah. just being a local musician and that, and, yeah. And, and, yeah. and working on that sideband thing. And, and thanks to Wayne Cass, who's a wonderful guitar player, mm-hmm. um, you know, Jerry Garcia meets, uh, meets jazz or something like that. Okay. He, yeah. He had a thing at the Rivoli every Sunday night upstairs oh. in the pool hall. And, and he also did something uh, 10 nights of, of, of till 4 a.m. at the Rivoli during the Jazz Fest and, and a bunch oh. of other little gigs. So we had a bunch of regular gigs for a while there. And that was really nice. It grounded me. It allowed me to explore playing standards and, and, and doing that jazz thing that I really hadn't done a lot before because I was just doing my own music, you know, yeah. I started off doing that, but then it was just shoveling and shoveling and shoveling. Okay. So that was a very great grounding experience. And then when we came back and with Stitch involved, the partnership has been great because, okay. uh, you know, and, and I really, you know, Stitch is very eager to do lots and lots. And, and because I've been down the burnout road before, mm-hmm. I, I'm going, you know, these things are great. I, I would prefer not to do this. Sometimes he'll actually, he'll go with, with without me. If it's okay. somewhere that we've never been before and, and people don't know who the shuffle team is, he's done a couple of things without me because I, I, I'll just go, yeah, I, yeah. 
I can't do it. Like it's that, that, that particular thing doesn't work for me. Okay. But, um, but yeah, wow. having a partnership really helps. And then just, yeah, trying to finish projects before starting the next one. Is also good. So fo- focus and a more focus. Yeah. Not taking on too, too much at the same time. Eh? Like yeah. that's, yeah. Yeah. It, easier said than done. I get it, right? Because it's such an exciting world that we're in this music game. Like one one day you'll get a call for some totally weird thing and you, and it's hard to say no, right? It's Yeah, well, that's absolutely. That's the beauty of it, too. But you have to. Sometimes I just think to keep that focus and preserve the work that you're doing. You've got. Have you gotten better at that over the years of like how to just keep that focus? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and and. And it's more saying no to, to like excessive touring. You know, I don't mind, you know, yeah. saying no to creative projects isn't something I try to do. And, and also things local, you know, I, 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 the really interesting thing about the pandemic is it has been a nice break from touring because mm-hmm. as I say, Stitch does all the booking. I do all the road managing and, and the booking okay. of hotels and the booking of flights and everything. And, Yikes. you know, having a, having a phone and everything has been great. Yeah. And in a way, you know, even though that's more work, I kind of prefer it because I know you know, the 7 a.m. flight might be 30 bucks each cheaper, but as but a person the, out there on the road, I want the 11 a.m. flight. I don't want to, you, you know, play at there night and get up yeah. at 5. You yeah. know, and I want the, the 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 hotel to be next to the club, you know, so we can walk to the yeah. club. Yeah. And then, unless the club's in an industrial area, you know, edge yeah. of town. I generally want the hotel to be in the hip part of town. Okay, let's face it. <laughs> there you go, there you go, there you go. Richard so Riding my bike to gigs during the pandemic, the local gigs where they were playing outside in parks or at patios or whatever, has been just great. I mean, I, I love it. I'm, you know, in, in a way, I don't really have to go on tour again. But speaking, it's lucky speaking for me. Of Europe, right? Like the, the, toured the, so much, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, right. Speaking cy- of Europe, and, yeah, cycling to a gig is a uh, has has its charm, doesn't it? Like it's Absolutely. it's very accessible, and I know that's that's huge in your world is this idea of. Um, I remember. Okay, I'm the I'm the dick. We're going dick to dick here with Richard Underhill, but I'm the dick in the car at this point in this scene, and you didn't see me because I'm not going to honk at you. Okay. But it's a snowstorm uh, in uh, in uh, twenty I don't know 2015. This must have been. Oh really? And, and there's one kook on the street with a bicycle. I look over and it's you, and I didn't want to honk because really? I thought he needs all his focus. And I didn't want to be that guy, you know. But um, I love I love what you stand for, man. I think it's really, but and and just to see that you played at Jack Layton's funeral, I feel like you you um, you're just really kind of embedded in Toronto culture in such a a meaningful way. I mean, do you? Yeah, do you, do you take? It's like, I don't know. There's not not even a question there. It's more of a comment. But do you take pride in that? Like, do you do you are you able to zoom out and kind of see like like we we need more of you in 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 the world in this in our cities? You know, like people like you really help define what the city is. Well, that's very kind. I mean, in a way, it's because I, I I'm what the city is in many ways is someone from a small town who came to the big city and and i haven't really lost those small town kind of things you know we're being friendly to people smiling where are you where are you from originally richard well i was born in new brunswick but grew up in a town called salmon arm bc sure sure. wow wow so i kind of i grew up in the 70s with x you know with draft dodger hippie commune type people 
yeah. um, you know, working tree planting and stuff. So yeah. it was all kind of those, also those sixties values that, that, yeah. that hit me, you know, I mean, I got into jazz and, and I was, it was really, you know, I was interested in the, in the sort of more radical elements of the jazz movement because I, I you know, in reading the biographies, uh, it was really the, the social justice and, and the, the civil rights movement okay. that was really an important part of, you know, what I got into when I was, when I ended up studying about jazz and the jazz heroes. Um, so uh, biographies of who? Like, well, like Coltrane and Tolfi okay. and, and people yeah. like that. I yeah. some did the Sun Ra biography a while ago. That was well, the best. Yeah, Zweig, yeah, I think is his name. Yeah, yeah, it's a good one. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, and that lifestyle just blows my mind. Right? It's like, yeah. hey, we're gonna play in a house for twelve hours and miss the gig because we were also into playing in that house. Actually, you know what? Let's just all get up and parade to the gig and just keep playing there. It just seemed like it, you know. Yeah, see, and that's it was so inspiring, and you know, not consciously, but the the shuffle demons are, have a lot of that in us. And part of it that. is my sister got married in New York in 1977, so she she's older than me, but she married an older guy than her who was a bit of a hipster beatnik guy, okay. and um, and he so he was taking us to stuff, and he took us to Sunrun 1977 in the Squat Theater. I'm assuming it was in Brooklyn. I can't remember, but a storefront theater. People crammed in. Twenty people crammed into probably a 15 foot wide stage. Mm-hmm. Just a total spectacle show. Sounds you ideal. Know, yeah. Blew my mind. Yeah. Oh yeah. And then then the next night we went to Sweet Basil and saw Ron Carter and his piccolo concert. So that was the you know the more refined side of jazz. So okay. it was you know it was very very. Uh, so you got that, that that's your that, that's your diet, eh? Ron Carter to Sun Ra. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty <laughs> pretty rigged <laughs> diet. Fuck right, um, that's awesome. And where did, did you did you study formally? Yeah, so um, I had a bit of an interruptus kind of thing after I, I went to grade twelve and quote thirteen at a place called Pearson College, which is an international school in off the coast of BC. So mm-hmm. I didn't. I kind of had it was kind of an interrupted uh, musical thing, and I didn't go straight out of high school into sure, music sure, school. Sure. Um, the cool thing about that was we had access to a beautiful grand piano all the time, which was fun to explore on. I didn't have lessons or anything, but we got together and wrote our own songs. So there was some creative, you know, smart people who were mainly doing academics, but but they were creative and they wrote their own material. So that was another inspiring thing. I didn't just go to school and start learning how to play jazz. I, I was with people who were writing things, which was okay, I think, really okay, important okay. and encouraging, you know, for you to, to write your own stuff. Then I went to York University for three years and, you know, kind of jumped into the deep end a little bit, on, you know, having not had played that much in a couple of years and and also not really had stu- having studied the jazz harmony and all that stuff. Did, so did, did York a little have, overwhelmed. Did York have a, a, a formal jazz pro, uh, like stream at that, yeah. at that time? They did. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. They were much before U of T. They were actually the, one of the first places to have a, a jazz stream. And in the 70s, they had some just incredible, you know, they had really all, all the, you know, jazz people from the forefront of the scene who would come and do a lot of touring here. They'd get them up for workshops there. So there was wow. a really golden period there. We wow. were just a little past that in the eighties, but it was still, there were still lots of threads of, of great stuff there. Who, who, who influenced you while you were at York for those three years? Well, I would say Al Henderson was a big part of it. I was in his workshop and he had a, yeah. he had a band called time warp, which was nice. Once again, a quartet without accompanists, no bass, I mean, no guitar, no piano, 
and they were influenced by Mingus and Monk and the, you know, the sort of slightly more radical uh, jazz elements, but deeply rooted in the blues. And so that, Mm -hmm. yeah, that was a really strong influence. I watched that um, tragic video of Mingus getting evicted like once once every four years. I don't know. It's such a downer, you know. I don't know. It's just, I don't know. It seems like a really important video, though, for some reason. But what a giant, eh? Yeah, I mean, as well, he was a, an interesting character, certainly. I mean, he, he, he definitely carved a, a, a swath. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You, you, uh, you mentioned the access to that grand piano early, early in, uh, like, late high school, I guess. And it's, yeah. it's fun how, like, these little miracles along the way kind of help really open up a, a, a path for, for people. And you don't even realize it at the time that you're in it of, of the importance of something like that. Access, right? Access yeah. to music education, uh, formal or informal. Yeah. You know, um, does that sort of teach you to write your own stuff? And who was inspiring you to write your own stuff to develop your own musical voice? Yeah, there were people along the way, certainly. I mean, growing up in Salmon Arm, it's in the 70s, so much different now, where you have the entire, you know, history of the world and and, and, and knowledge and and music at your fingertips. There it was like, what did the, what album, what jazz albums did the Kmart have? (laughs) <laughs> right, right. You're you at the whim of the Kmart. Yeah, that's cool. I'm cool. out by Dave Rivers, which I got when I was 12. And then when I was 16, I got Headhunters by Herbie Hancock. So okay. that was that was great. Um, okay. And then, you know, the person at the library, the, you know, who, who gave us the Coltrane album. And then awesome. the person at, at the Victoria, when I was going to Pearson College, and my friend had moved to Victoria, my best mm-hmm. friend, Dave Higgins, a musical uh, partner of mine. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a guy at the Victoria Music Library who just gave us tons and tons, I, tons I of love money. it. Yeah, I, I so love these it. Little right? inspirational figures along the yeah. way. Who, yeah. Back in those days, when you know you just those were gifts. Like that had true value. That you know. Yeah. That had that copy of Headhunters or whatever. Like it, it right. wasn't. It, I, I think you're right in saying. Like actually, I've heard I'm, I'm a guy who plays with us, a mutual friend, John Meyer. I've, I've heard oh, yeah. him. He's ahead in his years, and he he made this statement. And it's always stuck with me. Is like, we it, it's kind of the point you were making earlier about accessibility to like we have all the music at our fingertips now, right? But but are we really like listening to that one record as intently as you were back when when you would have received yeah. those those first few gifts, right? Yeah, I remember um, I had a uh, an eight track player in my, you know, in my stereo when I was living on, on Roxton Road here in Toronto and I was going to York and I, I had a big band project due and I, a Duke Ellington tape actually got stuck. A Duke Ellington eight track, which okay. you could, you know, imagine yeah. that they made those. Yeah, 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 yeah. Kind of funny. Yeah. Got stuck in the thing. You know, you, at some point you couldn't get it out. So I just listened to that thing for, you know, 20 hours straight while I was copy, hand copying this music and it really, you know, it made an imprint. And that's the thing. You listen to these things over and over again and, and it, oh. it's a little bit different, that intense study of something than listening yeah. to, you know, hundreds and hundreds of things. I really love that. the word, the, that, that word imprint just stuck with me because I'm an mm-hmm. owl guy oh. and I know that if you, and you shouldn't do this, but um, I know there are people who will 
raise owls as like if 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 you're the first thing that an owl sees oh. when when they come out of when, when what do they come out of eggs? I'm actually um yeah, I think so. do they? I don't even know that, that part. They're birds, right? <laughs> yeah. They're they're like they're not from this plane is how I look at them. Anyway, so let's say they come out of an egg for dick to dick. We're going dick to dick here. Um <laughs> if a if a if an owl sees you, then you imprint, and you're that owl's. Like they actually, you're the parent essentially. So, right. so there's these. Uh, anyway, th- that music was imprinted on you. It really leaves yeah, a, like that's a almost like a, a parental figure in your life. You know, it's it's that yeah. important. That's yeah, beautiful. Um, speaking of your parents, were they were they very supportive of your path? How did how did that go? Um, yeah, well. Music? Yeah, for sure. Um, my mom um, was, you know, she grew up in Montreal and mm-hmm. uh, Italian, actually. Which is okay, now let's talk because my mom grew up in Montreal, Italian yeah. as well. Sicilian, of course. Montreal, no. No, but okay. they worked in an underwear factory. Any wow. chance? Any chance? No, no, no. 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 Uh, I thought I'd go there. <laughs> we were on the railroad. <laughs> My yeah, railroad yeah. and underwear, man. We, we that, good, good, good. That's that's exciting. Yeah, okay, that's okay. cool. I didn't know you had there. So you know, she opera. My oh, mom, yeah. very much. You know, very much. We lived in Winnipeg f- for winter when I was five, and Ooh. she took me to the. Yeah, I know, tough choice. But she yeah. took me to the opera, uh, the ballet. You know, like the Win- Winnipeg had a great, had great stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and she took me there. So she oh. was the one who was really pushed uh, the artistic thing uh gave me piano lessons when i was six and uh wow. all that you know having said that was hoping i would go into science or doctor or lawyer or something yeah, which, yeah. You know, thankfully yeah. for the world of science doctoring and lawyering i didn't but <laughs> right we're all better but, for it yeah. yeah yeah i think so but um uh yeah so she was the one who who was really you know encouraging that and you know the most proud. You know, my, my father actually passed away when I was ten. So she, oh. you know, you know, as a single mom, you know, still okay. paid for those piano lessons. Wow, isn't that of, special? Wow. Yeah, did the amazing thing. Like you know, tried to push me out of the nest to the school. So you know, to try and you know broaden the horizons. Mm-hmm. Um, so she, yeah, she was a big hero and and did really instill this sort of cultural thing and jazz. Is your, thing. Is your mom still with us? If I might ask. Mm-hmm. No, she isn't. She yeah, passed away as well. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that, Richard. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, she had a nice long life. But yeah, yeah, she. You know, she was in Montreal in the '40s. You know, oh, and wow, going wow. all the clubs like Rockheads, and you know, so she really grew up in that jazz era and the swing era and and, and the '50s there. Right. So yeah, and, and, so and it was you and your sister, the two siblings, or uh, and brother. Yeah, and yeah. brother. Okay, wow, yeah, wow, yeah, wow. Yeah. But they're older than I am, so they were the ones who had, you know, a yeah. bit more of the contact with the hippie draft dodgers. They were in that hippie period, and so I got that side of it too. Yeah, man. To get to get that New York experience that you just painted a, that a while a second ago. That's uh, mm-hmm. amazing. Eh? It's amazing how we just stumble upon these like giant moments. It sounds like so. That's that's really lovely. Uh, hey, yeah. l- listen. Let's let's take a breather here. In the spirit of um, of uh, mindfulness, I guess we'll say. I don't know why I'm saying that. It's important to breathe. It doesn't sound like a big thing, but anyway, go ahead. Yeah, it yeah. doesn't sound like a big thing. <laughs> um, let's let's play one of the tunes off of this new fantastic Shuffle Demons record that just came out like a, a, a within like this this fall, right? It came yeah, out in November. Yeah, November. Yeah, November. Okay, so this November. is a fresh 
cut from uh, it's called All In and it's available on all streaming platforms. We would prefer you buy it from Bandcamp. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Or in or a, so. a CD copy from Richard? Yeah, you can do that if you want the physical CD. You're signing okay. them up, but but Bandcamp is also great if you want to buy the you know buy a fine copy for for streaming or you know to, to download for yourself and support and support this band. So uh, let's 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 take a breather here in the spirit of mindfulness and listen to a, a cut from your new record, All In. This is the tune "Walk the Walk." <laughs> Walk the walk. 
Yeah, beautiful, Richard. Congratulations on this record. How many Shuffle Demons records are there? This is the 10th. Um, 10? Yeah, wow. 10 in 37 years, you know, with a break in the middle. It's, that's it's great. That's, that's noble, I will say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Too dumb to quit comes to mind. But, um, <laughs> how, but you know, how um, like, getting 10 records done in 37 years, how... Was this a pre-pandemic recording or or yeah, during? Yeah, so during. Stitch Winston has been amazing in terms of getting grants to record, and we'd like to thank the Canada Council for this one. Um, yeah. And so, in October of the first pandemic season, I guess you could call it, yeah, <laughs> October 2020, uh, we okay. went and recorded. Uh, it was a little difficult because you know the numbers were rising, and it was you know we were a little paranoid about rehearsing in small spaces. So it was really one of those, yeah, you know. I remember that window. It's good yeah. that you got in in that window. There was a little. Yeah. A little spot there where where it almost felt like we can come out of our holes for a little bit, you know? Yeah, yeah exactly. And I'd been playing in the park a lot with, uh, you know, a couple of things happened during the pandemic. Yeah. For the first little bit, I just didn't play at all. I had no gigs. There was It was like, oh, I just watched the gloom on the news and, and mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. And then it was like, you know what? Mm-hmm. I really like to play. So I started doing this thing, which was play, uh, to work on my reading, playing along to transcriptions. So oh, playing cool. along to Paul Desmond, playing along to Stan Getz, playing along to Dexter Gordon. The sort of the soloists who don't necessarily have lots of notes but have interesting motival ideas. Okay. Because it was easier to play, and also it was a cool, you know, something I really appreciate. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I started playing in parks, which was wonderful. And then so it kind of was at least practiced up and, 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 and full of energy for this recording, which was nice. Yeah. But we yeah. did a lot of it. It was like email the tunes, play them for the first time in the studio. Wow. So that's yeah. <laughs> hey, hey, it's a sign of the times, though, right? Like I yeah, think when we yeah. look when we look back on this era, those are going to be those the the moments that stick for us, right? Is it, what, what were the collaborations like that moment in yeah. October twenty twenty when yeah. you were able to get in? Right, yeah. it's so special to me that that yeah. you know uh, that that's going to be the I think that what 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 we remember. Um, and and you were also what I, the the name of the band the Raiders I, I don't have it right Rider Raiders yeah the yeah Rider Raiders I was yeah. gonna say the Rowdy Raiders but that's that's well, a cool similar. outfit yeah it is well the name came because actually the Shuffle Demons were on uh, a Bare Naked Ladies cruise okay. also with great Bob Scott who was playing with Kevin Hearn and uh-huh. you know, if you've ever been on a cruise I've only been on a couple because I've been playing but yeah. you know drinks are expensive on a cruise. And so they were providing riders for the various bands to play. Oh, wow. And often, the, you know, because there were tons of bands playing on that cruise, yeah. bands would finish their set and leave and leave their riders, some of the riders. So we would raid the rider great, that had great. been left okay. and take the beers to our cabin. So that, anyway, it's a fun little brass band. <laughs> my my brain wouldn't have gone there. I would have thought you're so into <laughs> riding, riding bicycle, but that's right. great. Right, that also, yeah, good point. Never thought of that. Hey, <laughs> well, that's cool that this outdoor, um, just trying to trying to stay on on the good side of it, right? Developing yeah. a new musical muscle. I really admire that. Um, yeah, yeah, and and this recording came out of it, so we're thankful for that, right? 
Yeah, well, and you know what was so great when we we actually first the Rider Raiders did our first thing at the massacre, the Trinity Bellwoods massacre. I don't know if you remember that that first weekend in June, oh yeah, of twenty twenty one. People came back, and the mayor was there, angry, and they drew circles afterwards, and yes, they thought yes. it was going to be the most horrible transmission event in the history of the world, and uh, nothing uh, happened. Uh, but we were playing oh. that day, and but in a not very crowded area, but people were so appreciative. I mean, they hadn't heard any live music for so long. Like it yeah. was just the love for it was, it was really gratifying to see. And it felt like we were doing important work in getting people, giving people some live music. So we, yeah. we did that all summer. We played we played in the park once a week or something. And yeah, people mm-hmm. just loved it. And, and we definitely got some toot toots and some, yeah. I'm watching you and you're spreading this okay. horrible virus okay. by playing yeah. outside looks yeah. from people, but it turned yeah. out that wasn't true. A little bit of stink eye coming your way. There was some stink eye. Yeah, there was some yeah. stink eye. But that's fine. If you, you, know, you have to you have to accept the stink eye. If you, if um, I, I, I mean, you're such a, 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 I feel, you know, a staple in, in, in the Toronto music scene. And do you, you've seen it evolve mm-hmm. or morph, whatever we're calling yeah. it, maybe not yeah. evolve, yeah. but you've seen it morph over the years. And like you were re- referring to the Toronto of old there a while ago with, uh, yeah. w- w- you know, with with setting up shows uh during the jazz fest and such it's yeah. uh, what did you like about it back then how is it different now and and what do you love about it now three questions in one wow Bang. wow um yeah i mean back, it's funny when we came up kind of during the 80s there was there was it was kind of a prosperous time so mm-hmm. there was money around and and you know so maybe it was a little easier to get guarantees and and, yeah. and and make money. I mean, you know, the old joke is it's the 50th anniversary of the hundred dollar gig. You know, <laughs> so <laughs> and I always, funny. Yeah, it's a hundredth anniversary of the fifty dollar gig. That's also Jesus. it's kind of funny. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it is. It is. I think it was Nick Fraser tipped me to that. He said he was reading a a biography of I can't remember who. Mm-hmm. And he said it was like 1930. Yeah. And they were still making 75 bucks a gig. It was like, it was like, fuck, man, nothing's changed. I'd really, yeah. And back then you could buy a car with that or something, you know, right, after right, a couple right, of, a couple of weeks right. later, you could buy a car. Right. Yeah. So there was lots of opportunity in the eighties. There was lots of money flowing around, which was cool. As yeah. I said, it was, you know, there was more time on the phone and less time on the on the interwebs in terms yeah. of getting gigs. I did. I I ended up being sort of a pioneer of the fax, especially when I was doing yeah. Europe. Yeah, I was. Fa- I would fax. You know, press kits and fax offers or whatever. I fax like calendars to clubs all over Europe. Okay. Um, wow. Because I I just found it was you know I was sort of pre all that and, and, and it, it was hitting like they, they were oh yeah getting and then they would just write in they would write in okay oberhoff on cool. november 13th cool. and cool. fax it back and then i'd have my calendar rather than talking yeah. on the phone yeah. 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 you know trying to communicate in german which i can do but it's not oh. that well and, you know yeah. um so That's cool. yeah that I'm, i went international on you there because we were talking about toronto but i mean what I like about it now is there's 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 so many young people who really are wonderful at their craft and what they do, and I, I get a nice. chance to play with some of them, like Matt Lagan, who's in the Shuffle Demons now, who's in his mm-hmm. mid-20s or mid-later 20s. Just a wonderful musician, you know. So the the crop of, of young musicians is, is like never before. 
Unfortunately, yeah. the opportunity to to play is is also <laughs> like never before, which is not that much, yeah, you know. Yeah, but yeah. Um, you know, I guess these days, you know, you have to rely on ingenuity and and yeah. and trying to build a following and all that sort of thing. I yeah. I feel lucky that we went through sort of a period when it was a little easier and uh, the money was flowing a little more. Mm. Um, and I wish people well. I think it's probably it's it's not an easy time to be no. a musician. I don't know if it ever has been, mm-hmm. but I mean. It's mm-hmm. also not an easy time to do whatever kind of work. So, you know, yeah. do what you love. I think that's that's really the lesson there for me. Oh, I love that. There's a, a nice tactic. Um, yeah, it's interesting about you. Like, I don't, we don't know each other super well. We've certainly met each other and done stuff over the years. I remember having the Shuffle Demons to uh, to my hometown, Brampton, when I yeah. organized that festival, and that was a joy. Filling the yeah, square. Was it was cold, but I remember filling the square with your wonderful music. Yeah. Um, you know what I, I really feel though is like I every one of your tweets or retweets right. I feel I, I honestly and I don't say this about everybody, but it's just like fuck man, I agree with um m- most or all of what you believe politically, I think. There's like like you you know, I, I don't know, anyway, you're 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 on an interesting uh pulse and I, I notice it's more of what you retweet. I'm like, Yeah, that makes sense to me. So right. um what are you politically? I saw that you ran. Oh, I mean, we don't have to fucking talk about that. What are you politically? Oh, I'm fun. I lean left. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. You know, socialist, whatever. I mean, yeah. hey, come on. You know, Wusako and Vazetti. We're the Italian, yeah. the Italian socialists, right? There you go. Uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think it's. Ah, it's it's really interesting. The more you st- to study money and and all that yeah. sort of stuff and and deconstruct it and and, and that whole thing that it, you know, prosperity does rise from the from the bottom. Mm-hmm. But I mean, environmentalism has played a, <clears throat> a big part in it too. So it's you get into kind of a, a difficult spot um, when you when you're trying to you know. There's a movement to support traditional sort of socialist policies, unions, workers, and all that. But if if the companies the workers are working for are in turn destroying the environment, then then it's it's day you get into some it gets dicey, right? It's it's really hard to know what sort of solutions um, are really the best ones. But I mean, in terms of what government should do, I mean, I really think the government has the, the, the obligation to you know for the health and safety and welfare of the population. So you know the fact that there's people forced to live in 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 tents in parks you know it's not good for anyone it's absolutely not great for the not good at all for the people who are forced into that situation it's not good for the for the city you know i mean parks are are sort of uh are are sort of a thing you know that makes the city more livable more bearable and if the parks become unbearable then the city is unbearable so Mm -hmm. the city has really fallen down and that's kind of why i ran for mayor you know just you know obviously i wasn't going to win but to make points and and also to be uh to do something away from the party structure um because i really couldn't see myself having to toe the line and something that i didn't really believe in and that can happen i really i really think in any sort of party situation you you have to make a lot of compromises so i found that the local politician thing was was more interesting in that way the other thing about it is i this is a thing um the way it's set up they wanted to make it a little bit easier for the local, the little person to run. And so if I hired you 
to poster for my campaign and paid mm-hmm. you $500, mm-hmm. you could sit, then say, hey, man, but I love your campaign. I'm donating that $500 back to your campaign. So we're at zero, but you would get $350 cash from the city for making that donation. So anyone who makes a political donation in a local election gets a rebate up to a certain point. So the, the little person running can hire their friends, basically, to do some stuff, and the friends can actually make a little money on it, and, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's completely by the book. Okay. I translated that into, I can hire tons of artists to do yeah. fantastic things. Oh, wow. wow. And and cool. it can all be part of the election campaign. So I can do fundraisers with really cool artistic product projects. The artists can get paid. I can make a point and 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 you know and further the process. So that's kind of that's that was kind of the art project side of running for wow. mayor. Wow. It wasn't wow. just it wasn't just a uh, you know a vanity project. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I didn't take it. I thought it was. It felt like for me at the time, from what I gleaned of it, it was like you you were really driven and motivated by hmm. the insult that had been paid to the city through right. Rob Ford's yeah. mayorship, right? I think that's yeah, yeah. what was really that that was like in the foreground for me, seeing you react yeah. to it and do something like you're you're a DIY kind of artist, and I think. Yeah. For me, it always feels like that too. Like it, it, you could flick a switch and just go a little bit this way, and it does translate into politics if you're if you're that kind of artist. And so it, right. it was it was inspiring to see. Um, yeah, I mean, it wasn't a joke for you, right? I, I know yeah. that. I know that. That's not no, but yeah, and of course, but there's humor in everything I do. So oh, it yeah. is and it isn't. I mean, the the, the you know. Uh, I saw the George Carlin, there was this one piece that he did about, you know, I, I'm just like, a, I just have a ringside seat on the clown show. And and, and that actually, <laughs> it kind of, you yeah, know, yeah. because I, you, you try to change, you try to change, you try to change things, you make some headway. And then, of course, you know, a buffoon gets in and it's all yeah. gone in a second. So yeah, yeah. if you can actually take a little bit more of a detached view of it and, and have fun trying to change things and, and you know I, I i assume you you have to go into a mission like that knowing you're gonna lose like deep yeah. down in the back yeah, of your mind absolutely. it's like okay I'm, yeah. I'm gonna lose this but there's there's merit in it and what am i gonna win what what is yeah. the city gonna win from doing well, it then, are we yeah. better for it yeah exactly i mean the the real tragedy of the of the, the latest doug ford round of, mm-hmm. of bs was the cutting of the ranked ballots because that's the other thing you know when i was running olivia chow was also running you know, here I could take one percent away from her, which would yeah. you know could translate into into someone terrible winning. Right, and it what, didn't what, matter what, in the end. But that was it a risky move. Did you? Yeah, was it a disservice? That's a weird way. Well, to that's the it. thing. I mean, I ended up actually bowing out before being on the ballot right. for that reason, okay. and also it it you know after the little my mom actually just passed away like the November before it, so I, I had this kind of burst of energy, and then I got kind of depressed. So. It wasn't really the right time in the end, yeah. um, but but that was the risk that I that I that I I had to live with for a lot of it. You know, I'm taking away once again. It's a small, it's a tiny amount, but yeah, those things matter in, in elections. So that's yeah. to me, proportional representation is the real fight. That is the only fight, okay. actually. Okay. If we get proportional rep, then yeah. things kind of fall into place a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Well, I love it, man. I, I look up to you. I think that's like, um, 
you know, not not every artist I know, not not I think 142 interviews in, you're the first one I believe, if I'm not mistaken, <laughs> you have actually fucking did done what you did, did what you done, you know? It's it's, it's <laughs> Um, so good for you. And, and yeah, man, I mean, let's look at, we look at all of the artists that you've collaborated with over the years. I mean, your web is, it, it, it spans countries. We know this, um, but it's really focused on, like I see, uh, you know, Bob Wiseman's in there. Look back to the Bob Wiseman interview. I believe it's episode number, uh, on Industry Tactics, the Bob Wiseman episode is number 19. We go way back with Bob. And I know you've worked with Hoxley Workman, who's also been on the podcast, and, and many others. The list goes deep, you know. it's how, how has that been for you to just, like, learn different artist personalities and how to kind of get along in all of these different scenarios? It's such an important aspect to it. I, one that I would equate to politics, right, is like, yeah. all right, I'm in, in this band now. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think that is, you know, I read something about, you know, when I was running for mayor about uh, a guy had written something about the jazz musicians are the, you know, would be the best politicians because they collaborate all the time. And and in a way, that's true. You know, what I often say about improvisation or about the shuffle demons is where it's like we jump off a cliff together or out of a plane and we have to make a parachute on the way down and land safety together. And and that's. You know, it's kind of what it's it's like. You really have to trust each other on the bandstand or in the recording studio, yeah. and uh, and work together for a common goal. So, yeah, I mean, I I'm pretty amenable, and and uh, I think at a certain point, you know, you get out, you get over having to try to prove yourself that you're great or whatever. That's the sweet spot, I think, right? Yeah. yeah. Because I often play, I play with younger artists or some older artists who haven't figured it out. And you know, especially horn players and they're playing too much, you know, and they're like, Oh, look at me. I can do this. And it's like, and I often actually, you know, it's still hard to, when I write horn arrangements to not write too much. I mean, at least you can cut it later. And <laughs> okay. Yeah. Right. But right. it's all about, you know, and, and, I, and Terry Wilkins, uh, a great bass player mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and songwriter, you know, always said this thing, service to the song. You know, yeah, what does yeah, the yeah, song yeah. need? Not what does your ego need because you're here and you're hired and you need to yeah, stick yeah. out. It's like, what does the song need? Oh, it just needs this here at this point. Yeah, so yeah. That, it, it, that sort of um, ability to, to work with other people and work with other music and figure out what that music needs at that point um, and not worry about things being on the cutting room floor or whatever, as long as the product, you know, the people are happy and, 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 uh, and everyone got paid, then that's kind of an important lesson to learn, I think. I love that. Yeah, I've been trying to, I think that's a thread through many of these interviews, too, is just the notion of getting yourself out of it, almost going anonymous with the work, like getting your right. ego right out of it. I mean, I was raised on the eyeball buddies, right, the residents, and I mean, oh, right. that, that model could essentially go forever. Not that it is, like we've, right. we know one of them has died and they're a little older and they've come out a little bit to, to, to show who they really are, which is kind of cool too, just as a fan. But like that idea of shedding ego, getting, Mm -hmm. you know, like sounds like you're on that path. Right. Um, Yeah. And the demons are kind of fun that way because we have these suits, you know, so you put on the suit, you become the cartoon character and it allows you that in a different way, allows you to do all kinds of different, you know, all kinds of things, say things you might not say. 
Who's that inspired by? The painted suits. It's Kurt Swinghammer, episode number. Fuck. Hold on. Hundred and thirty-seven. I'm guessing. I know it was recent that you it did. It was Kurt. recent. So Kurt did. I, I assumed yeah. that was Swinghammer. Yeah. Well, so here's a funny story. So the, in 1985, the Shuffle Demons, at my behest, did a busking tour of Europe between between years at York University. I mean, kids, I'm really sorry. Tuition was cheap back then. We could do yeah. a busking tour of Europe between years and still go to school, have enough money to go to school. I don't know how we did that. Glory days, yeah. <laughs> yeah, three months in a, you wow. know, part, part of it in a, a van we bought from a hustler in Amsterdam. Yeah, <laughs> wow. crazy English Amazing. hustler guy. Yeah, and um, but in Paris, we were playing, and this guy from Gambia, Gimme, um, saw us and said, you guys, you know, we kind of look like the Blues Brothers or something. Yeah. They had dark yeah, yeah, coats yeah. and hats and yeah. shades. Yeah, so yeah, you guys yeah. need some cool clothes. You guys, guys need some cool clothes. He had some women who were tailor friends. Boom, he, he out, outfitted us in sort of oh. African clothing. So that was, <laughs> yeah, um, that was uh, the beginning of the Shuffle Demons looking, you know, okay. a certain way. Uh, and then, you know, everyone called us people in pajamas, whatever. So for our second album, Bop Rap, Swing Hammer, we went to Swing Hammer and he designed the painted suits. Episode 123, go back there and listen go. to that. We're connecting the dots on these conversations. I love that. So you go back with Swinghammer, eh? Like, oh, yeah, yeah. He was really foundational in, in terms of the look of the band. The first album, Street Nicks, yeah. we had, you know, a friend of a friend designing the cover, and it, and it looked really bad, really goofy. Okay. And luckily, Toronto Life, or no, was it Toronto Life? I think so. Did a photo shoot with us. We bought that photo because it looked great. And oh, then we got Swinghammer to to to, oh, cool. to to do the rest of the album art. Yeah, the last minute, kind of the last ditch. Oh, oh, we're not happy with the other artist. And then that started this this incredible relationship over many many years. Funny, funny how it goes, eh? Aren't you yeah. so thankful for it's a if you're doing oh, yeah. it right, it's a collection of friends, right? Yeah, you know? yeah. yeah. I, I mean, Swing worked, you know. I don't know, 80 hours design, you know, for Peanuts designing the set yeah. for yeah. Out of My House Roach. He did a completely hand-painted, a complete set for that at, at the old uh, music gallery uh, in the Great Hall. Yeah, so he, he's done many, many hours of uh, toil. And, and actually, in our second-to-last video, Crazy Time, he, he designed a lot of the backgrounds for that and a few, a few images, too. So yeah. I, I love it. I love these long-term relationships, right? It's yeah. built on trust. It's built on – you've got that long history with each other. It's really yeah. – Oh, man. Yeah, and with Swing, it's too. He's like, okay, you know, just, oh, okay, I'll just take whatever you do because it'll be great. You know, I, you know, yeah. you can, the odd Speaking little. Speaking of trust. Speaking of yeah, trust, right? Yeah, it's just going to be great. Let's hear, um, I really love this. Let's hear Have a Good One. Now, you want to tee this one up? Yeah, well, this is interesting because we talked about that electric band that I had in the, in the late 90s. And this is one that I wrote and recorded. Well, with the band, we all wrote it, and uh, we recorded on an EP called uh, Get Right um, in, uh, you know, 97, 96, 97, just before we had that little pause in the band. And then I re-recorded it, we re-recorded it for this latest album because I thought it was cool. And it's interesting because the lyrics really haven't gone out of style. You know, it talks about right. this world coming at us faster than a bullet train, and, yeah. you know, it's still still the same. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, it's a good routine. Yeah, here it comes yeah. now from Get Right. This is Have a Good One. Have a good one. 
down the street. So many people there, and they're afraid to speak. They feel weak, stress from working, going about the day to day. And to communicate, they don't know what to do or what to say. Urban life anonymous, a big sprawl. Seems we always try to run before we let it crawl. Competition, indecision, full of stress. Just grab a hold of life and leave behind the rest. So many suffer indignation and it's really us, it's never clean. Can you see that inside we are all the same? With a love of joy and laughter and a fear of pain. The Shuffle Demons, man. I am like, uh, I love the delay on those horns, too. Who's producing that record? Is that you? Uh, John O'Grant. Okay. John O'Grant's been a longtime collaborator, worked on all four of my solo jazz albums, and then wow. slowly became uh, the producer in the last couple of uh, Shuffle Demons records. Wow, yeah, so John is great. He's done a lot of film work, uh, yeah. worked tons with James B. and, and all nice. those guys. And, nice. And, James uh, yeah. B. Let's. Let's go back now and connect the dots. Oh, here we go. James episode. James B is episode number one thirty-five. So you know oh, we're, we're here with a jazz cat, what we call a jazz legend. We're going dick to dick here with Richard Underhill. Um, I am honored. Let's we're going to wrap up what has been a delightful saunter through your life. So, do you finish at York University, or do you just dive in to the real deal? 
Yeah, so in 1985, we did the street tour of Europe, and I actually, this is once again pre-internet, I found a typewriter somewhere in Europe, and I typed up, uh, and I I found this recently, a press release, you know, shuffle demons play the streets of Venice, you know, unfortunately get wet, you know, just made up a whole bunch of things of this street tour, and sent it back to the Star and the Globe, and and oh, wow. now around, I guess, whatever. Did, did it stick? Was it like yeah, a tactic people, that people printed it? Yeah. People yeah. like here this, you know, these yeah. notes from the underground from Europe, from this touring street band. Wow. And, uh, wow, um, yeah, my, they, they used to make fun of me. Uh, Duke Ellington, I think his, his autobiography was called music is my mistress. And, and Mike Murley would laugh and go, you know, Rich's biography is media is my mistress. <laughs> oh, <laughs> because, <laughs> uh, well, I was, you have, yes, man, you've always had that, right? I mean, yeah, well, you know, the thing is, I love, I love the band, and and uh, when, you know, I, I just it was like, okay, I, this thing is great, and I, I want to make sure it gets the maximum, you That's know, it. exposure that it can. I mean, you know, we back in the day, we, I put little forms on the tables and people would put their address not their email address their uh-huh. address and we would mail out a mailing like a mailing wow. list wow. eventually it was costing 400 bucks to mail out our list to all are these you still like today in, in today in 2021 late 2021 are you are you still rocking that kind of relationship with your audience are you still do you have like an email newsletter that kind of thing going yeah on? a little bit you know what it it's it sort of it got overwhelming at some point and i kind of stopped with facebook but it's interesting i mean in terms of tactic yeah. um so yeah we would mail it out and eventually wow. i started going hey man you know who, who who out there wants to promote their gig like for 50 bucks i'll add you into my calendar because it was getting to be too expensive for me to you know to do it mm-hmm. just for myself so i was mm-hmm. kind of farming it out and helping other people mm-hmm. um then yeah then email came along and you know, I sent yeah. out 30 emails and 10 people came. And then I sent out 300 emails and 10 people came. Then I sent out 3,000 emails and 10 people came. Then I, I sent it, out yeah. 20,000 yeah. emails and yeah. three people came. <laughs> then Facebook came and I sent out 100 Facebook friend things and, and 10 people came. Yeah, it, yeah. This, you know, or MySpace, yeah. sorry, MySpace yeah, came. That yeah, was yeah. fun. I had, someone said, you know, get a MySpace robot. And I was like, what? And so I actually had one of those MySpace robots and added friends every every time. Wow, <laughs> so, wow. Yeah, I know. So I've always been into the, you know, what can you do to get yep. people in the door, basically. Yep. I forget the question man. now. <laughs> it's fascinating. I mean, you, your grasp of, of, of media, I think it's really important. I don't think it links to ego. I think it links to realism and wanting to stay relevant and building an audience for your music that you love. I, I think it yes. is directly linked to that love of, of the music, right? And yeah. you're naive to think otherwise. I, I think if you're only in it for the uh, the love of it and you only have whatever, 10, 10 listeners, I, I mean, yeah. good on you. Yeah. But I mean, it's a, I think it is part of surviving as an artist is, is to give that some attention uh you know how you package it and put it out there is important i think i mean absolutely i mean you know in the first days when we got a global mail story you know there was a rush to it right it was like yeah that's amazing oh geez you know okay we didn't sound bad uh yeah Yeah. now it's (laughs) kind of you know and yeah and now it's just like okay great that's gonna help i mean you know so yeah it is it is just all about 
trying to, to, to get people to come and so, so the question there was originally you just jump into it after third year, you don't even finish. It doesn't matter. Oh yeah, thank you. Right. So come Who back. Cares? Yeah, exactly. I came okay. back from Europe. I had one more year I had two more years to go. Okay. I kinda dawdled that 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 third year because the yeah. band yeah. was happening and then after that year it's just like well the band's happening That's, i'm gonna that. do an edit on that i'm not gonna actually yeah. cut it because i'm lazy but it's not you don't yeah. even finish what i mean but by that true. is it's it's not it, part of your journey is you, you get swept into real life and i love yeah. that i love hearing that with a lot of musicians it feels like yeah. for me that's 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 beautiful. I I didn't mean that to sound uh, no 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 no. no but the, the point I really want to make to you know especially to young musicians is you know Please. if you're in something and there's a spark and it's happening and you know jump on that take go all in and this is the title of the album go all in on it because yeah. you, you don't realize that these things don't actually come around that often like when you're when you're making music when you feel connection with people mm. and it's a strong connection you know don't you know nurture that garden you you really have to go all in on it so for me it was more important to nurture that than to get a piece of paper from university when i didn't really feel like I was ever going to go into a teaching role sure, or anything sure, where that sure. piece of paper actually really meant you know, meant right. something to me. I mean, right. a lot of people do feel like that's their thing, and that's great. Yeah, yeah, but for yeah, me, yeah. it was never really the path that I I, I felt that I was I was going to go on. That's so beautiful, and what a what a nice note to end on, Richard Underhill. That honestly, this is uh, some of them feel easier than others, and. Um, this one has been it's been a real joy to to connect oh, with you and to learn more about about your musical life and um, where do you want to where do you want to go from here? We'll we'll end with uh, with one of your tunes, your choice, yeah. Chef's choice. But where do you want to go from here? What is the, what does the next few years look like in your in your musical life? How like are you planning it far ahead or are you just going kind of day by day at this point with uh, the world we're living in? You know? Yeah, I guess yeah, kind of project by project okay. i mean you know at some point i i you know and it's kind of like a person who's 60 what do they think about writing a book and you know i i, I it would be fun to to write a lot about the experiences that i've had because they have been cool. you know cool. there have been some really fun things like going to east berlin in 1985 and yeah. me, you know meeting someone in a park and going to a birthday party and you know being late at the border and being uh -huh. <laughs> stared uh -huh. down by east german border guards you know there's all kinds of crazy calamities that we've been involved in and by the the grace of a white light we managed to escape unscathed um so yeah that's that's something um yeah but cool. you know just cool enjoying writing you know I, i've got a project with a friend of mine called claudio gaudio who uh who um has written a really intense book called texas which is kind of a mix of poetry and, and mm -hmm. prose and just every every line it is mind warping you have to reread every line because it's so dense and so interesting and he's uh, making a video series uh, of some of his readings and so he's asked me to do some scoring for that. So that's oh. my next project that I'm jumping headlong into and really excited about. So um, yeah, there's lots of lots of different opportunities and uh, amazing. I'm just man. going with the flow, man. Just like a keep it fresh, keep it fresh, and don't <laughs> yeah. uh, don't burn out. That's those are the, some of the lessons. And I uh, appreciate you sharing all that you did today, Richard. What do you want to go out on? It's uh, we're going to release this uh, soon. 
yeah like on on Monday, so we could go out with that uh, Santa Santa vibes if you want. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, we've talked a lot about the shuffle demons, so yeah, let's have a fun thing. You know, we, we <laughs> that's the thing, you know, we were this real bad, almost a communal living situation like Sun Ra, and uh, we wrote just kind of a, a take on the night before Christmas called Father Hypnus, and it's really funny. My, my favorite line is uh, on, on Dolphy, on Mingus, on Braxton, on Murray. The club owner looked like he was starting to worry. <laughs> Back in the days of sneaking yeah. free jazz into our, you yeah. know, into our club gigs. Awesome. So yeah, it's kind of a, it's kind of a fun one. Cool, man. Here it comes now, Father Hypnus. Uh, thank you, thank you, thank so you. Much. Rich. What a pleasure! What a pleasure! Thanks for doing this too. Thanks for keeping people informed. Christmas, Demon Dave's on the couch, that a creature was stirring, not even a roach. You know, the stockings were hung in their own special way. Mike and Dave were hoping for some vitamin K. Jim by the tree was frantically hopping, just thinking about that last minute shopping while stitching his cap. An African gown's dancing and singing. Santa's coming to town. Door, his smile was big. Hey boys, uh, I think I got us a Christmas Eve gig. You know, the club's out of town, there's not too much dough. But I think there's free beer. The band yells, Let's, Let's go! go! Clean up the snow, jumped into the van, boat a mile down the road. We abandoned that plan, but we trudged to the storm till the club was in sight. By the time we got playing, it was after midnight. Stitch began dancing and jumping about. Rich was blowing his horn and taking it out. But people were talking, though the crowd was big. Seemed no one was into this pre-Christmas gig. I think they wanted a band that played nothing but schlock. And upon seeing the demons, they went into shock. When outside the club there arose such a clatter, it managed to stop their extraneous chatter. It burst Father hit this old man, what a cat. He was dressed like a street nick, parade shades like that. He put his horn to his lips, the crowd rose to their feet. Father Hitness was swinging to a new kind of beat. He played through the crowd and acknowledged the band. The demons invited him onto the stand. He had trained bird and press all under control. When it came to a groove, he had plenty of soul. The band started jiving and searching and scuffling. But after 12 bars, those demons were shuffling. Yeah, the people were grooving, and they loved every tune. Hitness was happy, he started to groove on Dolphy, on Mingus, on Braxton, on Murray. The club owner looked like he was starting to worry. You know, the crowd really dug it, and it seemed kind of funny that for such a good show, the band made no money. The session went on well into the night. It was just about done, and still no end in sight. Then Rich called the monster. Our lips dragged the floor. If we play that tune, then we can't play no more. But Hitness jumped in with a squawk and a growl. Didn't take long till we started to howl.
down to the floor through the crowd we did roam. When Father returned, said, I gotta go home. I'm leaving, he said, but I have one condition. Please, don't forget the jazz tradition. Play your music with all of your heart. Some it's a business, try to keep it nerd. Yes, that was our present. A word from the man, we try to uphold it whenever we can. Have a cool you. Dave, pass me a beer. Merry Christmas to all and a happy new year. Well, in the spirit of the season, that was the Shuffle Demons from their 1988 release, Bop Rap. And that was Father Hypnus. And thank you to Father Hypnus himself, Richard Underhill, for making time for this podcast. Gentle listener, if you want to learn more about industry tactics, uh, go to FriendlyRich.com. And uh, if you want to get into the catalog of the Shuffle Demons, check them out on Bandcamp. And thank you so much for listening. I'm going to take a little break for the rest of this year and be back in 2022. So wishing you and yours all the very best over the holiday season. And I'm excited to be back with many more episodes of the podcast. Thanks a lot for listening and for your support. Bye for now.